Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Hey, let's uh, get in the Word. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 1 today. And so I hope that you... um, We've got your scripture and you can look there, but actually I've got them all on the screen so you can just read along if you want. Let me uh, start with this. Each year at Christmas, there is an important debate that emerges kind of across the country. And this is a conversation of immense magnitude to our understanding of this holiday. And here's, here's what the debate is about. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? Like that's a very important thing that we really need to know. And I want you to know, I'm gonna solve this for you tonight. The answer is yes, Die Hard is certainly a Christmas movie. Uh, think with me just for a minute uh, about the message of Die Hard. If you haven't seen it, uh, maybe later, just keep your finger on the fast forward button. There's some places there, but uh, not to say a, Christmas, a Christian movie, but a Christmas movie. Let me uh, just walk you through some of the story of um, this movie. A man in a faraway place has a relationship that's broken. And because of this severed relationship, he finds himself separated from someone that he loves. And so he leaves this strange faraway place and enters into a new world called L.A., and in LA, uh, John McClain uh, comes to the Nakatomi Corporation as a strange outsider where he finds that his estranged wife has changed her name to further distance herself from him and, and build a, a life of her own. In the midst of that scenario, there's also an enemy that emerges, Hans Gruber, who is there to steal, kill, and destroy everything in their world. And like any 80s movie, uh, any enemy has to be German or Russian. So that definitely fits the, the bill in terms of the story. Uh, but this enemy has come to wreak havoc upon them. And yet the hero will emerge in this new world as the outsider that, uh, that, that sacrifices himself even to the point of shedding his own blood in order to bring about their rescue and the restoration, bring about joy and reconciliation between them. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely it is. Uh, you guys, and you guys need some work. Um, and all this, of course, happens on Christmas Eve. Uh, what is the point with Die Hard? You know, the thing about uh, kind of epic stories and myths and legends and all these things is so often there's this echo of the gospel that's in them. In any adventure that stirs your heart, there's an echo of, of Christian goodness that's there because it rings true to us in some sense or in some fashion. I think you see a little bit out here, but as you think about kind of this story and, and the wrestling, it's a reminder that no matter how bad things get, good always wins in the end. And that's the way stories oftentimes wrap up, right? Christmas is a reminder that no matter how dark things get, the light always pierces the darkness. The darkness never overcomes the light, John reminds us. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here's what we're gonna look at tonight. We're gonna look at just the reality of the gospel. And in the light of the gospel is this, that in our world, sin and brokenness, bring distance and darkness, but sacrifice and grace bring restoration and joy. In our world, sin and brokenness bring distance and darkness, but sacrifice and grace bring restoration and joy. So let's read in 1 John chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first four verses. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest and we have seen it 
and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with us, which was with the Father and which was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So as we look at this, uh, these short verses, uh, there's several things that I think it's important for us to notice. You notice he starts off, he says, from the beginning. Uh, he's talking about the, the mystery and the majesty of Christmas, that there's something that extends be, before us, that there's something that's eternal, something that happened before the creation of the world, going all the way back to the beginning. But from the beginning, uh, John says, I, I get to see Jesus, but this thing was prophesied centuries before, millennia before. There, there was something that was told. There was an expectation. There was an epic that was building. And there's a moment where Jesus steps into the world and kind of breaks into this, this time. And so as he thinks about this from the beginning place, he's talking about the, the uniqueness that God chose a specific time in which his son would break through into this world and make, make himself known. Think about this, the God of the universe in a little manger. The, the strength and the power that spoke the world into existence has become a vulnerable baby that his mother would rock to sleep and sing songs to, to, to calm him down. All the strength of the universe made vulnerable, the glory uh, that God had that was that put skin on and became just like you and just like me and walked through this world as we do. And because he's broken in from outside the world, part of what it means is that he, he knows more than we do. He understands the way the world is intended to work. And so he breaks in to reveal God to himself. And John, it's interesting when he says this, he says from the beginning, and then John, if you think about the passage we just looked at, he just begins to rattle off this stuff and it's like he can't control himself. And so uh, it, it sounds a little bit repetitive when you read it. It's like, hey, we saw it and we heard it and we saw it and then we heard it and we saw it and proclaimed it and saw it and touched it and heard it and saw it. And he, four times he says, we saw this or we looked on it. Two times he says that we heard it. Two times he says, we proclaimed it. One time he says, I got to touch it. And what's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, that Jesus walked on this planet and John's saying, and he wants us to understand, I was a first person witness to everything that happened. I got to see everything that Jesus did. And so he wants us to understand how important that is to him. And John, it's amazing to think about this, but John was with Jesus and he got to see Jesus pray. He got to hear Jesus teach. He got to be there when Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus took some bread and some loaves and divided them up and fed 5,000 people. He got to be there when he saw, uh, when, when the religious leaders brought a woman who'd been caught in sexual sin in and, and tried to accuse her. And Jesus intervened and said, uh, he who has not sinned, let him cast the first stone. And then he said, go and sin no more and, and separated this lady and gave her grace in the midst of their harshness. He was there when Zacchaeus, this one who was hated for stealing and, and, and robbing from the people, uh, when he sat down and had a meal with him and turned his life around and saw the Zacchaeus, the same Zacchaeus, go back out and redistribute the funds he'd stolen to those whom he'd stolen from. And John got to see it. John got to see Jesus pull away and pray. John got to see Jesus, how Jesus loved his family and interacted with those around him. John got to see this Jesus who, who healed the blind and who raised the dead. John got to see the same Jesus on the cross as his mother wept and saw him dying. John also got to see this Jesus after he was resurrected. He got to see him share a meal and laugh and, and enjoy the camaraderie of the disciples as a resurrected Savior. 
John got to be a firsthand eyewitness, and he wants us to understand that. That's why he runs through this. And so he's telling us that, and there's no fake news here, that you can trust this unique moment in history. In fact, it was such a unique moment that Jesus himself said in Matthew 13, he says, how blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. But John said, I got to see it. Can you imagine what that would be like? So John wants you to understand what had happened in Jesus' life, but he also then goes on, he wants you to understand the significance of all that happened in Jesus' life. And so in verse two, he begins to talk about, uh, the, the, this phrase, uses this phrase, this is the word of life, that uh, all of this happened concerning the word of life. And this phrase combines two, two words that are really important to John. They're important in John's, in the gospel of John. They're important in the epistles of John. They're important in the revelation uh, that came to John. And uh, it, these two words are the word of life. Uh, in Greek, the word is logos. And uh, if you look at John 1, this is a bigger concept. It's not, it doesn't just mean word. It means the word of God's revelation to you. God revealed himself to you. And Jesus was the visible logos, the visible word, the visible revelation or appearance of God to the world. And so he says that Jesus is the word of what? Life. If John was going to summarize the one thing about Jesus' life that he wants you to remember, it's he was life. He was life to us. And I think that's a a key aspect of what he wants us to understand here. Verse 2, he says, the life was manifest. Now, how many of you use the word manifest this week? Uh, if, you do, don't, if you did, don't admit it. Like, that's a total nerd out thing. Like, but manifest is just a word that means that you, he revealed, he unveiled, he demonstrated clearly what something was. He wanted you to, uh, to see something for what it really was and make, made something to appear. And so he says the life that was made manifest to us, that's why we've seen it and can testify to it and proclaim it because he made himself known to us. He revealed himself to us. John 1, uh, 14 says it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory, glories of the Father. God became flesh. The word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. And another guy translated it and said, uh, God put skin on and walked around the neighborhood, right? And so that's the idea he wants you to get is just the miracle that God himself wrapped himself and became one of us, fully God, fully human, but then he walked around amongst us so that we could see who God truly was and understand who he was. And this is why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. In Christ, eternal life came from the Father to first John and the disciples and then to us. And so part of what John's saying is there's this unbroken link or chain uh, that, that comes to us in understanding what this good news is. There's an endless chain from John, the beloved friend of Jesus, until now so that the good news of great joy comes to you and to me. And one person said of this, he says, in that, or she said, in that chain, each generation of believers, when it appropriates and testifies to the truth of the gospel, becomes the next link, the next recipient, the next guardian of that witness. See, friends, when we come to a Christmas Eve service, we're not just here to sing some songs and light some candles. We're not just here to have this kind of nostalgic moment of uh, kind of co- corporate connection. We're not just here to have some religious ceremony, but when we come here, we're proclaiming the salvation of Christ to the world and to one another. We're announcing good news of great joy. The angel on the the day of Christ's birth, the angel appeared and said, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Friends, unto you has been born a savior who is Christ 
need to let that sink in. And why is this message so important? In verse three, um, John goes on to, to talk about the fellowship that we have. And he says in verse three that, uh, that, that Christ was manifest to us so that that which we have seen and heard, so that you too may also have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowships with the Father and with his Son. And so he wants us to understand that we're invited into this relationship with God, that there's an opportunity for us to have a connection with him. Fellowship's another word that's a churchy word. Uh, what does fellowship mean? It, it just means relationship, friendship. It's a two-way connection. There's a, there, it can be a partnership. It's some kind of a closeness or mutual sharing with one another of a, relational, of, of a relationship. And so what John's saying is you're invited into fellowship with all of us, but also with God the Father and God the Son. And so we are connected with him. That's the significance of Christ's coming. That's what Christmas is ultimately about. It's about a relationship that we can have with the Lord Almighty. It's interesting when you think about all that are invited in that to all this news has come. That means white or black. It means upper class, lower class. It means GED or PhD. Uh, that means Republican or Democrat. That means foodie or food stamp dependent. That means goody two shoes or rebel without a cause. Whatever you fit on the spectrum of life, you're invited. The ground is level when you get to Jesus and Jesus invites all people in. And that's what unites us. What unites us is not some just social connection around things of this world. What unites us is faith in a savior named Jesus who's come to us. And that's what brings us together. And that's why we have fellowship with us, but also with the father and with the son. And that's what's been promised to us from the very beginning. That's what the, the God's plan has been building to. That's the epic that's unfolding in front of us. And what Jesus stepped into was the pinnacle, uh, pinnacle moment of that event where he came. John, 1 John 4, just a couple chapters after this, says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Friends, there are a lot of ways to catch a glimpse of love in this world, but there's only one ultimate love, and that's in God. There's only one that is the ultimate lover of the universe, and that's someone that has to be beyond us. Then in verse four, John wraps it up and he says, kind of the first blessing is we get fellowship. The second blessing, or the, the, kind of the antecedent blessing, the thing that comes out of that is he says, we're writing all this stuff to you so that our joy may be complete. He wants you to know that this is where joy really is found. Friends, what does it mean to have complete joy? Like any of you know complete joy? Like I, get, I get moments of joy. When he talks about complete, he's talking about something that provides fulfillment, something that causes something to happen. It makes this thing, this, this sense of richness that you couldn't handle anymore. Um, I get glimpses of joy. You ever glimpse of joy when you have a good meal? You have a glimpse of joy around your kids and some relational thing. You have a glimpse of joy with a good family time. Um, but man, those can be fleeting, right? Like it's hard to capture those, hard to hold on to those. You get these moments, you, you, may, have a, you may win a game, you may have a, a good situation at work, you may close a deal. You get this taste of joy, but to have complete joy, unfettered joy, unbroken joy, joy that's forever is a whole different thing. Each of our lives is marked. It's one of the most human, most basic human things about us is that we, we have a desire for joy in this world. We were created for it. We're hardwired for it. And each of our lives is marked by this search of joy. It's, it's a deep human need. And I want you to just take a minute and reflect. And I've got a statement I want to put on the screen behind me. And I want you just to think about yourself and your own life. How is it you would fill in the blank that just says, my joy comes from 
blank? How would you yourself fill the blank in? What, what image fills that blank for you? What, what word or phrase or sentence fills that blank for you that says, man, this is, where, this is the joy I run after. This is the place that, that, that I grab hold of joy in, in my own life. You know, it's interesting. Joy can come from family. Joy comes from success or respect. Joy comes from things that we possess. Joy comes from freedom to do whatever we want. Joy comes from the affirmation of others and then the praise of others. Joy can come from romance. Joy can come from security and feeling confident about the future. Where is it your joy comes from? I think it's an important question for us to answer and for us to think about it. I think at Christmas time, we're all looking for joy in different ways. I think for those who are going through hard times, who are going through suffering, really what, what, well, there's an absence of joy that's there. And the reason why it feels like such a heavy season for some people around the holidays is that they can't find that joy, that it seems distant and far away, but they still have a longing for it. I think also for, for most of us, uh, there's kind of three categories that I think are all bound by time that we think about. There's some of us that have kind of a, a, a nostalgic joy Meaning we're looking back at something. We're looking back at the good old days. We're kind of have snapshots of former years and we look back and go, man, those were the good days when I had joy. And so you come to the holidays and you think, how do I somehow drum up some of that old nostalgic feeling and those old traditions, those old things that I have that I want to carry with me from the past? So that's kind of a looking back sort of a joy. There's others of us that, man, we're trying to hold on to the fleeting moment of right now. And so we're clinging to the present. And oftentimes I think for that, it's, and your kids are getting older and you just know, man, they're not gonna be here forever. They're, they're not gonna giggle, you know, in the morning like they do right now. They're gonna grow up and things are gonna become different. And you, you just wanna, you wanna bottle that moment. You wanna hold on to it in the present and say, let's just hold on to this moment. So you're fixated on the present in terms of your joy. There's others of you that are anticipating joy. I mean, you're just hoping for a better future. You're hoping for a child. You're hoping for a spouse or a family. You're hoping for a new job. You're hoping for better health. You're hoping for something. And so you're longing for a future joy that you get there. But you notice in all three of those, they're all three bound by time, aren't they? They're all three things that come and go. They're all three things that we can't hold on to. And yet what I think what John's telling us that Jesus offers us is not temporary circumstantial joys, but as real as those are, those are incomplete. And so he calls us to a complete joy. And Christmas is our annual reminder that our joy, our ultimate joy, depends on our relationship, our friendship, our fellowship with God of the universe. That that's where ultimate joy is found. Uh, joy is a gift from God. In fact, Psalm 16 says it this way. Uh, he says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, full, complete, realized, experienced joy can be ours, but only through Christ. And only in the presence of God and only through that relationship can we have that kind of never-ending joy. And so Christmas is a, is a season where and we grab hold of all the joys we can, but we need to remember that there's a greater joy. There's a forever joy. There's a complete joy that we need to hold, hold on to. Um, can we go back to Die Hard for just a minute? I know that's important and on your minds right now. Um, how many diehards were there? We had a debate in this in the last service. How many diehards were there? Were there four or five? I honestly don't remember. Um, but there were four or five different diehards. And why were there so many diehards? One, because they were awesome and made a lot of money. That's not really the point today. Uh, why were there so many diehards? There were so many diehards because John McClain had an inability to provide complete joy. 
So yeah, at, every, at the end of every one of those, there'd be, these, there'd be these moments where they come together and everyone's reconciled and everyone's happy and there's always joy and everything seems like it's doing great, but they had to put out another movie very soon after because John McClane couldn't keep joy that's there. Friends, it's a good reminder for us. There's so many things that we try to grab hold of in life. There's so many joys that you try to seize, but they're fleeting, aren't they? I mean, have a good day tomorrow. Make the most of it. Unwrap presents. Enjoy the food. Enjoy everything about all those joys, but just know that they don't last forever. There's only one joy that lasts forever, and that's a relationship with the God of the universe. And so let's run after that gift, after that goodness, after that joy, the joy that never ends. Uh, Friends, whatever darkness you experienced this Christmas, if you're in a dark place, would you... Would you choose to believe that God's joy is real, even in the hard times? And whatever goodness you're experiencing in Christmas, would you choose to believe that God's joy is greater, even in the best of times? Let's pray. Father, we do trust that you are good and that you desire good for us. We trust that Christ has come, and that is good news of great joy for all people. Father, we pray and just ask for anyone here that maybe does not know that joy, that today may be the day where they recognize that they cannot make life work on their own, at least not to the point of forever joy, and that they might surrender to a Savior even now. And Father, for all of us, would you convince us of your worth that you desire a relationship with us, that you invite us into a friendship and a relationship with you. And would you help us to treasure that in this season? Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.